It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. Yeah, Italy is where my soul is restored. <laughs> uh, it's the place I most love on the earth, apart from where the Lord has put me right now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flavor of the Week, brought to you by Banditos, fresh, made daily. In Flavor of the Week, Kyle sits down with one of our local priests to sample variations of a favorite food or drink while they discuss the ins and outs of life as a priest. Welcome back to Flavor of the Week. This is part four of our conversation with Father Daniel Scheidt here at St. Vincent's in Fort Wayne. And Sydney Black, our executive director at Redeemer Radio, made us four different pastas. This is a strozzabretti with arabiata. That's right. Strozzapretti alla rabbiata. <laughs> How is your Italian in general? It's my favorite language. Yeah? Yeah. It's the language I want to speak in heaven for all eternity. <laughs> so get, I studied in Italy. For, yeah. I studied in Italy for three years. One as an undergrad and then two as a grad student at the Casa Balthazar. And at the Casa Balthazar, we had to speak Italian or be quiet. So I opted to, uh, to speak Italian. <laughs> So that's the only other language that I would have fluency in other than English. Uh-huh. So strozza preti means uh, strangle the priest. <laughs> the idea being that the pasta is so good that the priest eats so much of it that it undoes him. Uh-huh. So you can buy that pasta noodle in specialty stores. Ask for it by name. Okay. Strozza preti. And then the sauce, uh, arrabbiata, is the Italian word for angry. And it's angry pasta sauce because it has red chili peppers in it. Oh. So it's the the spiciest of okay. the typical sauces. I like spicy. It's good. Nice. Now, I think she didn't find the exact noodle. This is like a... Yeah, it's a substitute. It's a cousin... Cousin noodle. Exactly. So I had supper with uh, an Indian biologist and her husband. She was studying for her doctorate in biology. And she made this great Indian meal. And I just said to her at the end of it, this is the way human beings were meant to eat. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, actually, there is a connection between the type of food that people eat, where they are, and they're thriving there. And then she explained something I would have never come up with had she not said anything. Namely that spicy food tends to be eaten in very warm climates. So spicy food makes you sweat. Sweat cools you down. So there's a reason why Indian cuisine is spicy. Mexican cuisine is spicy. Southern Italian cuisine is spicy. It's so you sweat and cool off. Whereas cuisine in northern climates tends to be uh, more bland, more starchy, uh, so that you put on pounds uh, for insulation from the cold. Wow. Like Irish cuisine, British Uh cuisine, some of the cuisine of northern Germany, like all those countries uh, tends to be very bland. Interesting. But there's a reason for that. Yeah. So anyway, the the arrabbiata... (laughs) would be popular in uh, central to southern Italy. Okay. Where it's hot. Right. Interesting. Did you travel around Italy much or were you mostly in Rome? 
We were based in Rome, but I did a fair amount of traveling. And my ethnic background is uh, three-fourths German and one-fourth French. So I have a deep desire for order. Um, (laughs) Some might say world domination. I don't know about that. But going to Italy was really the liberation of my soul, just because the Italians were so laid back and just full of life in a different way than I was used to. And in terms of food, I was a very picky eater before doing that year in Italy in college, and it just converted me. I mean, I I literally had to eat what I was served or starve. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any money. So it forced me to eat things like eggplant Uh and to learn to love those. So Italy, in a lot of respects, has been my my salvation. <laughs> well, so besides food, did it influence you in other ways as your salvation? Yes. So the whole sense of history not being past, but actually being incorporated into the present. So just living in a place where the buildings one was living in, you know, go back centuries. So the hotel where I lived as an undergrad was uh, over the site where Julius Caesar was murdered. Hmm. And, you know, just to walk down the street and see things that were were carved thousands of years ago, just part of the fabric of the life of that culture, it just electrified me. Hmm. And it also taught me the genius of the local. For example, there's a Jewish bakery in Rome. Uh, it's called Il uh, Bocione. And it serves only its little neighborhood. And everybody who needs to go to that bakery knows where that bakery is. Mm -hmm. They don't want to expand it. They don't want to franchise it. They don't even have it labeled on the outside. Right. (laughs) Seriously. Like they literally don't have a sign outside advertising that it is the bakery. Because everybody knows. Everybody knows. And they actually don't want too many people to know because that would overwhelm them with more work. Uh So they actually work to live rather than live to work. Mm. And there's a a pastry there, it's called Jewish pizza, that you can only get in that one bakery. Hmm. And every time I go to Rome, I go back to that spot for that treasure. And I just think in our culture where things are becoming ever more like franchised, uh, centrally controlled, like Mm -hmm. all shopping is now done, you know, more or less through Walmart, Amazon, Mm -hmm. the big names. It empties human life of its particularity, its local genius, its local scale, uh, its local color. And when I studied there, um, so this would have been the late 80s, there were still towns where the stores would open in the morning and only stay open as long as it took to do the day's business, and then they would close. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the store owner, let's say of the hardware store, would know, well, who's coming, when they're coming, and what they want. So after the business of the day was transacted, uh-huh. everybody would just shut things down, have lunch, and spend the rest of the day. Now, I mean, this is grossly inefficient economically and mm-hmm. um, in some ways unsustainable, but um, <laughs> but for me, it 
captured something of what a fully free human life is meant to be. They just enjoyed each other's company. They enjoyed good food, good friendship, and that was the center of their life. I hope I'm not romanticizing this too much, but I have a saying when I introduce myself to uh, Italians. I say, uh, un cognome tedesco ma un cuore italiano. I have a German last name, but an Italian heart, uh-huh. which of course makes them very happy. Yeah. It reminds me of, there's like a, a fable or story, whatever, of a guy that's out fishing and there's a man on vacation in a, like a Mexican resort town or whatever. And he sees the guy fishing and he's like, oh, you catch this fish. Do you ever catch more than you need for your family? He's like, no, no, no. We just go home and I, I'm butchering the story. No, no. But, but like, when I just catch enough fish, we go home and then, you know, my wife and I take a nap in the afternoon and <laughs> whatever. He describes this life. He's like, oh, you should catch more fish and then you could sell some and then you'd have extra money. He's like, oh, that sounds, sounds nice. He's like, well, then what, what would I do? He's like, well, eventually you could have enough money to get a bigger boat and maybe even hire somebody to help you and you'd catch even more fish and sell even more fish and make even more money. He's like, oh, that, that sounds nice. What would I would do with that? Eventually he's got this whole fleet of ships and, and then what he could do is he could retire and he could, you know, just go and hang out and have a meal with his wife and take a nap in the afternoon. And <laughs> like, go fishing. Right. And so it's this whole idea of you have this kind of, I'll say it's American, but it's beyond American, desire to just keep making more money. Like, what is your objective? Like, what is your goal in life? Yes. And meanwhile, the lake or whatever is depleted of its fish stock <laughs> because fish can only multiply at a, yeah. certain, at a certain rate. Yes. So the very pacing of Italian life, I just fell in love with. I love the fact that there's a break in the middle of the day and a nice meal and a nap. You know? yeah. So I, I take a nap every day yeah. without apology, uh-huh. like 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And Do you have a hard time falling asleep? No. No. But the rhythm of of even an Italian meal where for some Italian meals, it's just expected that it's a three-hour thing. Hmm. And the food and the wine go together and mm-hmm. complement each other. They're never divorced from each other. And all of that just serves conviviality. Yeah, even thinking about it. So basically, <laughs> in the United States, I eat very simply just because it's basically in food terms, being an exile, just basic things. Uh-huh. It's in Italy where I feel that I really eat. Like I've actually cried eating bread <laughs> uh-huh. in Italy, like tears coming down my face, eating yeah. real bread. <laughs> anyway. That's great. Uh, what about the churches? It's usually people's, especially Catholics, highlights for Italy and Rome. Is that, yes. is that part of the draw as well? Yes. And what I love is that in a single city, it's like an archaeological dig, except the buildings are actually alive and used. Mm -hmm. So it's possible, for example, to go to the catacombs and celebrate Mass, where early Christians would have celebrated Mass. It's possible to go to churches that were built by the Emperor Constantine in the 300s, once Christianity was legalized. It's possible to visit medieval churches, uh, churches from the Baroque, like Bernini's work. Bernini, who worked on the interior of St. Peter's Basilica and the great colonnade outside. So to have all of that 
accessible and as a priest to be able to pray in those churches to mm-hmm. celebrate mass in those churches it's an amazing feeling of being in communion with the people who first built those and prayed there how much time do you spend just looking at the artwork the architecture well it's impossible not to see it uh, and the italian like i just imagine of, you just getting lost yeah there, just yeah. staring and looking around and appreciating everything yeah italy is where my soul is restored <laughs> uh it's the place i most love on the earth apart from where the lord has put me right now uh-huh. um <laughs> But what I like about the way they arrange their life is they spend more of it outside. Mm. So the the squares, the piazza in front of you know the buildings, those open squares are the place where basically a town or a, a neighborhood will have its living room. Mm-hmm. The true living room of an Italian home is actually the piazza, the open space in front of it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, at restaurants, when the weather is nice, it's actually the best thing to eat outside. Mm-hmm. So it's it's both enclosed like a living room and yet open to the heavens. Does that include churches too? I mean, you church you would always have inside, right? But uh, maybe but even a lot of the a lot of the early churches will have a courtyard in front of it. Mm. I mean, most strikingly at St. Peter's, right. there's the great colonnade. But those central places where people can just gather. And children can play, and adults can talk, and and people can realize that they're not atomized individuals or suburbanized families, mm-hmm. but they're part of something larger. That fundamental aspect of what it is to be human that I think in the states we tend to lose. Well, and I think just in general, we you know, finish mass and we scurry to our cars as quickly as possible right. and get out of there instead of having community. Yes. So in the States, things tend to be designed almost entirely around the automobile. So you have to mm. you have to take the automobile if you want to do civic business, if you want to go to work, if you want to go shopping, um, if you want to go to civic events. But the Italian neighborhood is designed so that everything you need to be a human being is within a 10-minute walk. Mm-hmm. So... No matter where you live in a traditional Italian town, in a 10-minute walk, you can take care of government business, you can do your shopping, Mm -hmm. you can um, do your socializing, you can do your worship of the Lord, Mm -hmm. and that creates a different pace of life that isn't governed by the speed of the automobile, but rather the walking of a stroll. Yeah. I can't imagine that ever happening here. Like maybe it was at one point. Right. If you've common. ever seen the Truman Show, yeah. uh, that movie, it was filmed in Seaside, Florida, and it would be an example of what's called the new urbanism, uh, an attempt to recapture uh, the integration of different things that suburbia has fragmented. Hmm. But those experiments in the States are um, more the exception than the rule. Yeah. What would be your advice or hopes and dreams for trying to capture some of that? Like, what can we do to foster more of that kind of attitude? Um, I actually like the idea of parishes, especially parishes that might have more land, um, thinking creatively about how that land can be used for social activities. Mm -hmm. For example, my first pastorate was Queen of Peace in Mishawaka, 
and there was a whole stretch of unused land. And I thought, well, this would make a perfect parish garden. Hmm. And different families adopted different parts of it, growing you know fruits, vegetables, flowers. And then we built a grotto to Our Lady hmm. there. And so it's both a place of prayer, place of community, a place of beauty, and it draws people to the campus. Um, I think anything we can do to get people outside and to build places where people would like to spend time together mm. so that our social time isn't just franchised. So we're not falling back on Starbucks right. to be the meeting place. Um, yeah. I like that. All right. Well, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for getting Cindy Black to make all this food for us. It's a joy. Delicious. Thank you for sharing with us and sharing your ministry and your excitements, your passions. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kyle. For show notes on this episode and to find more shows, visit kylehyman.com. And until next time, remember to leave room for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit.